Good morning. So the reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to 18. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Good morning, and to add to Matt's welcome to those who are new among us, it's great to have you with us. And uh, I feel like as I chatted with people as they came through the doors this morning, we're all looking for some good news. We're looking for something to make sense of the craziness that we feel just soaked in, literally and uh, metaphorically. 
But uh, at the end of uh, today, um, I'm going to open up a chance for us to ask some questions. We're sort of most of the way through, uh, in fact, just over halfway through our series in 2 Corinthians. And if, and if you're new, I'm hoping it still makes sense to you. And, you know, I encourage us all to have God's Word open before us that you might hold me accountable to God's Word, but also help unpack what it means for us right now in Tungabi in this world. But uh, as, um, as a bit of a way in, this is kind of part two of, of what I started last week. So last week, we saw that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has given us a freedom to encounter God as Father. And as we look to Jesus the Son, we become more and more like Him. So in the freedom we have to encounter, not, not by sheer strength do we kind of do this religious thing, and nor out of some kind of guilt-ridden, you must be more like Jesus. No, no, as we, as we gaze upon our loving Saviour, we become more and more like Him. And that same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is now at work in you. That's, I mean, I could sit down, but I, I'm not going to. Uh, that is good news. Let, let us unpack this, because this is part two, the power of God in us, treasure in jars of clay. That's a, that's a kind of a beautiful imagery that's in the center of this passage. The power of God in us, treasure in jars of clay. Now, we've all felt moments feeling like a jar of clay. I am sure we resonate with that. And there's lots of reasons to be disheartened, uh, particularly as I refer to a couple of things happening in the world right now. It feels like a sustained season of very dramatic and devastating things. But it's not just a feeling that we need to turn the frown upside down. No, no, no. Uh, as one person said to me this week, they are really struggling with where is God in this? How is this stuff still happening? Why doesn't God just fix it? Well, I want us to see today that God is very intimately involved from the inside out, at work in us, at work in the world. He has given us a treasure in jars of clay. Uh, but for as much as the Spirit has reconciled all things under Christ even though we can't see that in, in full yet. I want us to see, I uh, sort of follow Paul's logic, how he actually brings to the fore kind of a, a, a two-worlds kind of thing. Uh, that, that is, we see this kind of paired, um, uh, kind of seeing blind, light and darkness, life and death. It's kind of a two-worlds thing happening here. And I want us to have eyes wide open. To, to the complexity of these two worlds, as it were, so that we might appreciate how God, how the Holy Spirit has reconciled these two things. So first of all, let's have a little look at uh, how Paul starts in defending this seemingly, uh, seeming accusation about his deception. So deception is kind of a way of, you know, uh, it, it, there's a hidden world under kind of the surface. That's what deception's about. You're kind of, you're hiding something and putting something else on display. And if we were to mirror read uh, how Paul starts, he says, instead we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the Word of God, but commending ourselves before God. Uh, by mirror reading, I mean uh, kind of having a guess at what he's responding to. My guess is he's responding to people who are looking at Paul and saying, you're not an impressive person. You speak of great things, but you're not great. So what are you peddling? What, what are you trying to push here? What's your agenda? Meanwhile, there are these super apostles that he will describe later in this letter who look impressive and are preaching a different Jesus. 
And it's easy to kind of believe that because they look impressive. You know, they're kind of, they look like they've got it all together. But then there's Paul, weak, beaten, messy. Why would I believe that guy? But no, there's no two worlds to Paul's life. What you see is what you get. He says, we are not acting deceitfully or distorting the Word of God. He's actually putting on display the gospel life, the upside-down life, as it were. And, and his life is able to point to Jesus in a profound way. And he uses his life to take us to the gospel. And that's what this passage is about, to help us see that while there looks like there's sort of two worlds going on, he is pointing to the one Lord who is reconciling all things under Christ. Friends, can I just take this little moment to say, let us not hide weakness in supposed strength. Church is not a collection of happy, shiny, squeaky clean people who put on Sunday faces to be really friendly. Friends, we are a league of the guilty saved by grace. The only reason we gather here is not because we have kind of some social interest kind of in common, it's because we are guilty but saved by grace. And so, let us not open up gaps between Sunday and Monday, let us not hide hidden agendas or a hidden world, but open ourselves up to God that we might be able to say with Paul, we commend ourselves before God and to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. Do we aspire to that? Do we live up to it? No. <laughs> but let's keep going because I want to show you how we get there. The second kind of two worlds thing or this kind of this pair of sort of, uh, of, of binaries is the seeing and the unseen. Uh, look in, well, with me in verse 4. In their case, oh, sorry, but, but he, sorry, as he talks about uh, speaking the truth, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Now, that sounds like a challenging thing, but Paul is not unaware that as he preaches the truth, there are people who do not understand. And he sees that not as an issue of their integrity or their intellect, but he understands that this world is thoroughly broken all the way down. This world has rebelled against God and their hearts have turned inward such that they can't see Jesus. Now, as, we, as Paul goes on to talk about the work of the God of this age, that is Satan. And we might feel a bit weird sort of talking like that or even thinking in those terms. I mean, we're kind of quite happy to openly talk about God, perhaps, but as soon as we drop Satan into the conversation, it gets a little weirder again. But, but Paul is not unaware that we live in a spiritual battle, that there really is darkness and light. Now, as much as we'd like to think that everyone's an independent person capable of making up their own mind, there is more to this life than we see. And the God of this age is at work. Satan is a deed prowling across this world. And for good reason, there are many who are thoroughly disheartened by this. I remember as a youth pastor, sitting with parents who were in tears because their child did not know Jesus and they didn't know what to do. And so we prayed together. But let us not lose heart. That's how the NIV translates the top and tail of this passage. Uh, let us not lose heart because God is not on the sideline. This is not kind of like some Marvel movie where we're sort of in the middle of hoping that, that God is just more powerful than kind of Satan. 
No, no, God has entered into the struggle and has won the victory, and yet there is still an aftermath, as it were, a, a kind of an ongoing sort of after battle, even though the victory has been won. But let's, let's look at kind of this next pair of, of, uh, of binaries, these two worlds, as it were, uh, to see how God has entered this world, and that is through the metaphor of a light shining in the darkness. That's verse 6. Uh, read with me. So, verse, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. It's very John 1 language. I don't know if you thought of that as well. John, at the beginning of John's Gospel, John speaks about the Son of God coming into the world, where he says, in Him was life. And that life was the light of the world. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, God has made Himself known in this world, in the mess. I loved how in that Compassion video, they made reference to how as we write to our sponsor children, we actually engage in their grief and their suffering. That is what God has done when He has entered into the mess. He has engaged in, He has suffered with, He is able to empathize with because He, as the light of the world, the life of the world, has entered into the darkness with us, entered into the mess, but the darkness has not overcome it. We need to appreciate that there is more to the world than we see. Deceitfulness is just one small example and a way in to see the whole world of darkness, where the God of this age is at work, but it's not in our strength that we overcome this. It's not like we just have to open our eyes. No, God has come into the world that we might see the light and see everything by the bright shining sun of God. For God has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, we have the privilege of knowing God because He has made Himself known to us. God has come to us in power to push away the darkness to shine the brilliance of Christ, that we might know Him. He makes the blind see, the deceitful whole, the sinner saved, the dead rise in Christ. Friends, knowing Christ comes with power. And I want you to know that. I want you to be encouraged by that. And this is where Paul shifts the metaphor. Having spoken of the light shining in the darkness, the source of that light is a treasure a treasure dazzling in brilliance and God has put that treasure in you. Friends, we have this treasure in jars of clay and that's crazy. That's crazy because if you have something special, you kind of want to put that in a special place. Like I feel like if you've got something really special, it should be in a safe, or if it's really, really special, like in some kind of glass case, you know, behind red ropes and armed guards in a museum for all to see. But what's God done? He's put it in the kind of equivalent of a Chinese takeaway container. The, the kind of the clay jar that Paul refers to, it was a common vessel uh, for all number of things, easily made, easily broken, worthless in and of itself. <laughs> That's us. But Paul's not kind of trying to down on us as though we were worthless. No, I think he's actually making a bigger point than that. That is that we are worthy to have this treasure put in us, but worthy not 
because we are worthy, because we're awesome. No, because God loves us. That's where our worth is. And He has put His treasure into us that He might shine the light of glory through us, that we might know that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. And so Paul becomes an overcomer, a gospel man of power. And that's where this all starts to come together, friends. Because in the freedom and intimacy that the Spirit brings us, that we might know Jesus, to encounter Him and gaze upon His beauty, that is real power. Paul was hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Where's the power, Paul? Where's the victory? Well, it's embedded in every gritty, cross-shaped moment of his life, of our life. So what does he say? Hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. What's in column one for you? How would you sort of describe the gritty moments, the hard moments, the moments where your weakness is brought to the fore? Busy? That's a bit cliched, isn't it? But yes. Stressed? Uncertain? Frustrated? Well, God's got room for all of that. Because it was in Paul's life, even though he was a man of gospel power, even though he had treasure in jars of clay, this is real life. But the thing is, God is bigger than that. That's not the end of the story. It's not the full stop. Because Paul's able to say uh, that we were struck down, but not destroyed. There is more to your story, friends, than your circumstances that your bleeding heart is telling you. And so, anxious might be joined with held firm. Or or busy might be joined with prayerful and purpose rhythm, purposeful rhythm. But what, what joins these things? What, what helps us cross that full stop into the, a bigger story? Well, let me tell you that busyness does not necessarily lead to prayerful and purposeful rhythm. In fact, it doesn't naturally lead to that. Or, or hard-pressed doesn't naturally lead to not crushed. And, and here's one of the things that I think we've got to keep wrestling with. This gap between Sunday and Monday. This kind of spiritual moment and the kind of just the worldly stuff. And in the burbs, juggling mortgages, school, sport and work stress, all in the pursuit of balance and comfort. That's a a drama, but that needs to be placed in something bigger because our life cannot be about just seeking comfort and balance. No, we need to join this together with something more remarkable, with the power that is on display in Paul's life and in our life as God puts his treasure in us. Friends, the way up is down here. The way to join our life together is to let go, for this power is not of us. That's the point here. What joins it together? Verse 10. Read with me. In, in, last time I said that, you read out loud with me. Read with me in your hearts. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Now, that's, that sounds like a strange thing to say. Let's not lose our train of thought here. We're wanting to see, to live whole lives of integrity in, in a world that is dark, often full of deception, to, to find God's power 
in our mortal and weak life, and the way to join our circumstances with steadiness, to, um, to join death with life, is some kind of carrying around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Let me unpack that a little bit here. I'm going to put up a crazy slide. I'm not expecting you to read that, but I just want you to see, as I'm going to highlight a few words here, how Paul's line of logic is working here, so that we might understand what it means to carry around the body, sorry, the death of Jesus in our body. So first of all, we've spoken about uh, that God, in in the power of the Spirit, has opened up for us a way to encounter the Father, to know Jesus. And the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus, or simply just knowing Jesus, is now our privilege. And that is power. To know Jesus isn't just to kind of know of, to sort of a Facebook-like. To know Jesus is to be with Him, to be loved by Him, and to have His power in you. And then as we flow through, and we get to that line of kind of carrying the death of Jesus in our body, uh, and then Paul will go on to say, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. Somehow we want the idea of knowing Jesus to actually be on display in us, and not just kind of the nice parts of Jesus, as we, you know, the, the kind of the, the glorious parts that we might like to think of. No, 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 including the death of Jesus, because it was in that moment that God displayed His glory most clearly. Do you remember at the end of kind of John's Gospel, Jesus prays, now is the time for the Son of God to be glorified. What's He talking about? He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the resurrection. Do you want God to display His glory in your life? We're kind of asking for the cross and the stone rolled away to be on display constantly in our life. He'll go on to say, that the, saint, the power of the Spirit, the one who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. And that's, it's hard to see, but in, in the Greek here, and I don't often sort of try to unpack some secret Greek meaning, but the Greek does make this a bit more clear, that, that that's, that's the only future verb in this passage. That, that the power of the Spirit will raise you in glory at the end so that you will see Jesus face to face. But, but what joins us together is a, is a much bigger idea that Paul uses throughout most of his letters. And that's what it is to be in Christ. Because as soon as you trust in Him, you have, been, you have died in Christ and you have raised, been raised to life in Him right away. That is, you're not trying to attain some kind of spiritual kind of you know, growth moment that you know, eventually God will be happy with you. No, as soon as you trust in Jesus... You have died in Him and you've been raised to new life. But between that moment and that future moment where you will be raised in fullness and see Jesus face to face, we have the privilege of getting to know the new glorified Mike Hasty, the new glorified whatever, I don't want to list everyone's name, but you have the privilege of getting to know the in Christ person you will ultimately see in Jesus when you see Him face to face. But right now, we get to carry the death and the resurrection of Jesus in every part of our life. As God works in us and through us, and we get to know ourselves more as much as we get to know Christ more. 
Friends, this is life in the middle. And I'm convinced that our job is not to just get over kind of hardships in our life, but to seize every moment, including the hardships, for Christ, that we might know Him more and get to see our true selves more. And that's gritty. That is hard. And so often we're not up to the task, but that's the point. Because God is at work in us by His strength, not ours. And that is why I have supreme confidence in God's work in us. For as much as the church, for as much as us are underwater frequently, we are grieved, but we are not overcome. And as we look to the church, this is a church in Lismore, taken this last week. As we look to moments like this in our world, friends, let us be grieved. We are not called to skim over these moments. We are called into them as much as God entered into them in Jesus. And let us take up real grief. But that's not the end of the story. We are grieved, but not overcome. We are not called to some kind of stoicism to just push through, nor to some kind of Eastern Buddhism to detach ourselves from the messy bits, to only aspire to some spiritual thing. No, no, we are called right into the mess, as much as God was, so that we might take up the power of the cross and the resurrection all through this life until we see Jesus face to face. But friends, there's a little bit more. But because as we, as we let God's power work in us, look at how Paul goes on to speak. So verse 12, So then, death is at work in us, he's talking about himself, but life in you. So, so as, as Paul considers himself a kind of a jar of clay, with, with the power and the light and the life of God shining through him, it's for their benefit. It's not just for him. See how he uses the kind of uh, us and you? But then even more clearly, indeed, verse 15, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Friends, I want the world to see the church in its glory. I want the world to see the saints in all their messiness and yet see the power of God at work in them so that He might have the glory, so that more people might come to know Jesus, so that God might shine His light and life into them. Friends, do not lose heart. And though we are wasting away, we are being renewed. And may God use this for His glory in the world. I want to give you a couple of examples. Here's a picture of a bunker in the Ukraine. And this, uh, what I'm going to read for you, comes from, directly from Benjamin Morris, who's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Svitslovodsk. Oh, I'm sorry, I, really, I find that hard to do justice. Svitslovodsk. He tells what it's like to live in constant threat of being bombed. And we, he says, we find ourselves ignoring some of the air raid sirens, especially the ones in the middle of the night, since we're so exhausted. We've also learned that not every siren means a bomb might drop on our heads. But whenever we do... We head to the bomb shelter. My family and I take the opportunity to share the hope of Christ with our neighbours. So there he is, seizing every moment for Christ. 
He says, we'll play whatever role God grants us, to plant a seed, to water, to harvest when ready. He is the one who brings the fruit in His time and we can rest in that. But look at this, what He says next. When the enemy thought he had finally had Jesus right where he wanted Him, it turned out he was dealing his own death blow. Our Lord overcame by using the enemy's own weapons against him. We take comfort in that, especially as Ukraine faces an enemy who rages in the devil, who loves to steal, kill and destroy. Friends, let us seize every moment, the gritty ones, the ones where we feel like we will be overcome, because there is nothing that can overcome Christ. He has overcome death. He used death against death. He used Satan's power against him. He will work in every circumstance. Not to some kind of better roses moment, but to shine his power, his light and life in us and through us. Let me give you one more example. It's Mission March, and I was reading a book called Jars of Clay, and it's the story of... Pauline and Ralph Brown in Pakistan in the 1960s. A hard place to do gospel work, now and then. She writes this, When Ralph and I were preparing to leave Pakistan, we looked back on the uneven growth of the Punjabi church in Sindh. We have seen the best and the worst in our years of living in five different towns and cities. In spite of all we had seen, perhaps because of it, we still believe that the Lord was at work in the churches of Upper Sindh, and the lives of the men and women who made up the congregations. We had no more answers in 1988 than we had in 1971 or 66 to the problems that hindered the growth of these churches. And that might be a cause to be disheartened, right? But then she goes on, this was precisely the reason for our faith, because faith does not mean closing one's eyes to the often painful truth. Not because we refuse to see, but because of what we knew too well, we hoped against hope and trusted in God even when all our years of experience told us things would never change. We could still believe because the Lord has taken upon Himself the responsibility for building His church. We had failed miserably too many times in our actions and in our prayers, but the Lord who called us, the same Lord who lived and died and rose to life in our Pakistani brothers and sisters, knew the end from the beginning. He would accomplish His purpose to build His church in Sindh. Like us, they were only jars of clay to show that His all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What are the things in your life that are telling you you're weak, that things need to be different, that you need to muster up some kind of strength to overcome? Friends, we are on the other side of the world to so many of these stories. And it feels like in a completely different world at times. Let us make sure that we have eyes wide open to the fullness and complexity of this dark world of which Jesus is shining His light into. Let us make sure that we have eyes open wider than some mere pursuit of middle-class comfort and balance. Eyes wide open to the battle that rages, yet the victory's been won. And let's make sure our eyes are fixed on not just what is unseen, but what is, sorry, what is seen, but what is unseen, eternal. The image of God in Christ that we have the privilege of knowing. And let's seize every gritty moment. Whether that be taking up the grief of our brothers and sisters across the world, 
or every moment that you come across where you feel like you're about to be overcome. Let our limitedness, let our weakness and mortality, let, us, let those be jars of clay moments that we might be reminded that it's not in our strength, but all of this is that God might show that His all-surpassing strength is more glorious, more brilliant than anything we could have imagined. Let us find ways to finish the sentence, I am stressed, but... Something from the Gospel for you. (laughs) Letting go of the version and vision that you have of you and your life so that you might find strength in the glory of the risen Lord Jesus. That's our privilege, to discover our glorious selves and the glorious Jesus who saves. I know that in many ways we don't feel up to this task, but that's the point. Our job is to look to Jesus and to let Him work through our weakness, because in His sight, you are treasured jars of clay, filled with His treasure. Let me finish with Paul's words. Let us not lose hope. As grace extends through more and more people, may it cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed and our inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen.